each one of you and talk to you about uh, the Brook Church, um, these are the things that I would share with you. Um, the opportunity to do so would be great. Of course, time would not permit, wouldn't allow me to, uh, to do that. But if I were to sit down with you across the table, I would talk to you about this place, this church that we've devoted ourselves to for 20 years. And um, our original mission that God placed on our heart 20 years ago here for this place. And I want to remind you today what we're fighting for, what we're fighting for. You know, in all relationships, we, we kind of forget what is most important. We can forget our mission. We can forget why we're doing certain things. We can forget why we're married in the first place, right? And that causes problems when we forget. We can forget why we're doing the jobs that we're doing in our careers. And when we forget we have burnout, we have frustration and even conflict that results. And so today, by way of reminder, I want to share with you what our mission is here at the Brook Church. Years ago, I was watching a Dateline news program where, um, where a reporter was interviewing a retired general. It was at the onset of the Gulf War, and the troops had just marched into Iraq. And the reporter was asking this general some questions. And the reporter said to the general, General, what is the most important thing that our leaders must remember at this point in time in the battle? And the general said to the reporter, we must remember not to allow mission drift to occur. Mission drift. And the reporter said, what is mission drift? And the general said, it's when we forget why we're fighting in the first place. It's important to remember what we're fighting for, what our energies are going to, what we give and pray and love toward and stay up late toward and get up early toward. Why are we doing the things that we're doing? Well, our mission is very clear. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus was not unambiguous with respect to the mission of the universal church. Every church that is a Christian church should have this as its mission. Here's what he says. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the way that we have expressed what Jesus said there 2,000 years ago We say that our mission here is to develop people into authentic disciples of Jesus. Jesus said, go and make disciples. What we say is we're here to develop all people into authentic disciples of Jesus. But what happens is as we go along in work, in ministry, and in church, we can lose our way. There's often a subtle drift that occurs. There's a mission drift that occurs. And I want to give you some characteristics of this mission drift. What tends to get in the way of mission? First of all, it's division. In the course of all human relationships, disappointments occur. Conflicts happen. Why? Because we're all sinners. We're all imperfect. We are a church. We're a colossal collection of imperfect people who are seeking to do what God wants. And in the course of those relationships and in the course of working out this thing called ministry, what happens is that there are some things that occur that could cause division if we allow them to. We begin to doubt each other. We begin to stop giving the benefit of the doubt. 
We begin to judge motives. We begin to talk about people rather than to people. And by, by the way, I just want to say to you in general, periodically we will get, not often, I would say rarely, we will get an anonymous note in the offering, an anonymous letter. Um, I want to remind our church, we don't do anonymous at the brook. That's just not who we are. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. We rely upon hearing from our church people. But we are the kind of church that will turn and face each other and sit down and talk to one another, not talk past one another. We don't do email battles. If I get kind of a heated email, my response is real simple. Please, let's get together and let's talk about this. I don't even want to talk on the phone. So much can be misunderstood. Let's sit down and talk. The bride of Christ is worth more than petty arguments. And so we want to sit down and really avoid division that can lead us away from mission. Complacency is the second characteristic of the subtle drift. It's where the way that we have always done things, well, that's the way it always has to be. And we kind of settle, right? We settle. We settle for the easiest thing rather than the right thing to do. And I want to remind us that the right thing to do is rarely the easiest thing to do. So we've got to be willing to change, not for change's sake, but we've got to be willing to change in order to fulfill the mission that God has for us and to be effective in it. The third characteristic is misdirection. Misdirection. This is such a subtle ploy of Satan who begins to direct our energies and focus and conversations toward things that really don't matter in the long term. It's where a church begins to major on the minors, It's where a church begins to elevate the petty, the superficial, and the unimportant to a place of prominence. Where in the big scheme of things, those things don't really matter. It's where we lose true north. We lose our bearings. And we begin to talk about things that in the long term really are not all that important. Here's a truism for you today. Think about this. In all your relationships... The quality of every relationship is determined by what you choose to fight about. Isn't that true? I mean, there may be some things worth having discussions about in our marriage. There are a lot of things that are not worth fighting about. And the quality of every relationship is determined by what we will focus on and what we will just choose not to focus upon. What we will say is important, what we will say is not important. So... What's most important here? Let me share it with you. Our mission, how we express this mission, is through a spiritual growth path. So if we say we're about building disciples, what happens is that churches say, yeah, we're about building disciples, but they never determine what a disciple is. Would you know one if you saw one? So we've said, this is how in our church we're going to define what discipleship looks like, what following Jesus looks like. It's found in four words. You've heard them before. The first word is the word discover. Discover God's presence and power in living. That's the first step to spiritual growth. That's the first step in becoming an authentic disciple of Jesus. Meaning this, that we have authentic spiritual life, real connections with God that are dynamic and life-changing. The church 
is based upon the belief that Christ really makes a difference in life. And so we talk about Jesus in themes of relevance, the, the impact that he makes upon our marriage and our parenting and our work and our friendships. What difference does Jesus make? We say Jesus makes a difference. You see, in truth, church is not about attending church. It's so much more than that. It's about us being a vessel by which people can enter into a personal, living, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what's most important. And it's the church's job as much as possible to get out of the way and to, and to not create distractions from that for occurring. So, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, the first step is for you to discover God's presence and power in your life by trusting Christ as your Savior. That's the most important decision anyone could ever, ever make. What will you do with Jesus? And if you are a believer... It means walking in your faith in a present tense where you come and you worship and you begin to experience a dynamic and living faith, not a passive, dormant faith, but one that is each and every day that really makes a difference in your life. The second word is the word connect. Connect with other believers in authentic community. The Bible has no language whatsoever about an isolated Christian. The Bible talks about us as Christians, we enter into the family of God. We enter into a membership of sorts with the body of Christ, that we are members of the body of Christ. So it is very difficult, really impossible scripturally to grow spiritually if you are not connecting in authentic relationships with other believers. It's important. That verse there in Acts chapter 2, it says, They broke bread in their homes. This was that first church, remember? They broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. I saw this last Friday night. And I saw it at Dan and Jenny in Wright's house. Um, the small group leaders got together to say goodbye to Rihanna and Lodi. And um, we all got together. We ate food. We were laughing. We were smiling. We were hugging. Uh, it was a Texodus, not an Exodus. It was called a Texodus. It was a Texas party for them. They had a cake. The first service thought I said keg. <laughs> cake. <laughs> I'm going to pronounce the K really strong. Cake that had a map on it of Texas and a line all the way down to South Africa. And uh, everybody sang happy trails to you. And it was such a blessed time, and to pray with them and to say goodbye. And as I was looking around the room, I thought, that's what it is. That's the church. That's what the church should be. And that's what we experienced that night. So connecting with other believers in authentic community. Third, grow. Grow. Grow in faith by learning and living God's word. If your spiritual diet is limited to Sunday mornings... From 10.55 to 11.50, you're not growing much spiritually. This is a launch pad for something more. God wants you to go deeper in your life. And he wants you to learn his word and the power of the word of God indwelling your heart in such a way that it changes you. Growing deeper in your faith. And then finally is the word serve. Serve others in the church the community, and 
the world. We have a value here at the Brook. I'm so proud of this value, by the way. We say here, spiritual maturity is expressed not by how much Bible you hear, not by how much Bible you know, not by how many worship songs you sing or how emotionally you sing them. Spiritual maturity is ultimately expressed in serving other people. Mature people are able to serve. Immature people have a hard time serving. Secure people can serve. Insecure people have a hard time. We're about serving others because it reflects the heart of Jesus. It's so clear in the scripture. In John chapter 13, this passage, this was the night before Jesus was to be crucified. Remember, he had this last supper with his disciples. Before the meal, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He got down on his hands and his knees and washed their feet. Look at what he says to them. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. It doesn't get any more clear than that, folks. Service changes us. Service rubs against the grain of selfishness and consumerism. And it allows us to learn what it's like to be truly Christ-like. Here's the truth. You are never more like Jesus than when you serve others. Never. It is what quintessentially characterized his life in giving himself in service to other people. Last Wednesday night, Chad Beckman led a Bible study. He did an excellent job. He was talking about serving. Let me read for you what he said. I wrote this down. It was so good. He said, Jesus is saying this. You don't have to do this, but I have an incredible adventure for you. It is found in letting go of yourself. The question is, how much do you want to know God? Do you want to get all you can of God on this side of heaven? Then serve, he said. What a truth. So, here's what an authentic disciple is. If you want to know... Here it is. An authentic disciple of Jesus is one who is discovering God's presence and power in living, connecting with other believers in authentic community, growing in faith by learning and living God's word, and serving others in the church, community, and the world. That's the mission. And it's not one we can just check off. You notice the present active verbs. Discovering, connecting, growing, serving. It's a lifelong journey and a lifelong process of becoming more like Christ and growing in my faith. So I'm asking you out front, is that the mission of your life? Is that front and center to you? And then I want to remind us as a church that we continue to make this front and center for you and me. Paul said it in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This was toward the end of his life. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We're fighting a battle. Let's remember what we're fighting for. Let's remember why we're doing this in the first place. Let me show you a video clip. Just by way of illustrating this, it's a video clip from the movie Gettysburg. It reflects the true story of a guy named Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, who was a captain in the Union Army. 
Captain Chamberlain has got a really unique story. You should look him up. It's a true story, by the way. He is outside of the Battle of Gettysburg right now, and he's about to go into the Battle of Gettysburg. When he started the war, he had 1,000 men under his authority. He now had less than 300. That's how many had died. Right before going into the Battle of Gettysburg, he was given charge of 120 men that were from his home state of Maine. He was from Maine himself. He'd went to West Point. He was given responsibility of these men who were mutineers. They had served their commission, and they had believed that the time was, was come for them to go home. They didn't want to fight anymore. They were tired. They had fought long, hard battles. They were ready to go back home. Well, the Union Army said, no, you've got to stay. You've got to fight. We're about to go into Gettysburg. You're going to have to fight with us. They didn't want to. The leaders told Captain Chamberlain that if they refused, he could shoot them dead on the spot. He could arrest them and make them walk into the Battle of Gettysburg, basically under gunpoint. (laughs) Or he could convince them to go and fight. I want to play for you his speech, his literal speech. This is recorded in history as what he actually said to those soldiers there at Gettysburg. This regiment was formed last summer in Maine. There were a thousand of us then. There are less than 300 of us now. All of us volunteered to fight for the Union, just as you did. Some came mainly because we were bored at home, thought this looked like it might be fun. Some came because we were ashamed not to. Many of us came because it was the right thing to do. All of us have seen men die. This is a different kind of army. If you look back through history, you will see men fighting for pay, for women, for some other kind of loot. They fight for land, power. Because a king leads them or, or just because they like killing. We are here for something new. This has not happened much in the history of the world. We are an army out to set other men free. America should be free ground. All of it. Not divided by a line between slave state and free. All the way from here to the Pacific Ocean. No man has to bow. No man born to royalty. Here we judge you by what you do, not by who your father was. Here you can be something. Here is the place to build a home. But it's not the land. There's always more land. It's the idea that we all have value. You and me. What we're fighting for, in the end, we're fighting for each other.
you think they went and fought? Yeah, they did. They went into the bloodiest battle of the Civil War and fought their hearts out because a leader stood before them and reminded them what they were fighting for in the first place. What are we fighting for at the brook? We're fighting for men and women and boys and girls. We're fighting literally for souls. Eternity is at stake. We've seen marriages where the couple has said, it's completely over, it's over where God has stepped in and brought them back to one another and has salvaged the marriage and the family and it's growing and it's becoming healthy. We've seen people give their lives to Christ, their eternities transformed. We see youth full of life and potential. These seniors today. Oh, to be young again, right? Just, just the brightness in their eyes and a student ministry and children's ministry that has grown them up here in the church and has set the course of their lives on a whole different trajectory. I mean, this has made a difference in their lives and it's going to be a gift that will keep giving to them and will go to their children. These are the things that we're fighting for. In the end, we're fighting for each other. We're saying this skeptical and cynical world that we still believe that the bride of Christ can rise up and be something unique and beautiful. But it will take work. It won't be easy. It will mean us keeping focus. It will mean us setting aside what is petty and superficial coming together and saying, let's fight. Let's die trying at least. We may not get there. Let's die trying. (laughs) So many people are not. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for the beauty, the nobility, the value of your bride, the church. And Lord, yet we are so imperfect. Um, So, Father, may your grace abound. Lord, may you, by your mercy, protect and provide for the Brook Church. May we never lose our way. May we always keep before us those words of Jesus when he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And Father, when we fail, help us never to give up. Protect the unity of this place. Bring us together in heart, mind, and spirit. And God, we will always give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.